Welcome to the Elevated Podcast, based on the best-selling books, Elevated and Excavated. I am your co-host and co-author, Virgil Herring. Joining me, as always, great friend, co-author, co-host, Drew Maddox. Drew, how are we doing today, buddy? Man, I am great, Virgil. You know, it's uh, it's that time of year for me, which means it's it's March. Yeah. And you know madness. what March means. March Madness, baby. March Madness is upon us. You know, it's getting close. You can start to feel... Uh, tournament basketball, postseason basketball, and uh, super excited this year because I think it's wide open. It is, it it is, is a wide open field. 100%. And I feel like it's interesting. There's a, a team that started off really slow that's starting to pick up speed, and that's Kentucky. Yeah. You know, Coach Cal was under massive, massive heat, yeah. and it almost seems like he had something to prove. Yeah. And it just so happens that today's word is – Prove, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a pretty interesting word. Yeah. But when you think of the word "prove," what are you feeling? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, this is an interesting word as well. I mean, every one of them are just—it's—it's it's amazing how it speaks to you. Yeah, you know, the word "prove" to me is a big part of my story, just because um, the the addiction to people's approval mm-hmm. and the word "prove" being in the word "approval." And that's been a constant force in my life that I've had to combat against because sometimes you would even um, compromise maybe even a belief or a thought or feeling to make sure that people's approval was even weighed heavier than even maybe you felt about yourself. Yeah. And so it was just a constant, you know, in my life to, to battle that. Now we've talked um, a lot about this over many years that this journey that both of us have been on that, that we're starting to, and I've released myself from that, like mm-hmm. that, that, that need for people's approval and applause, but it's still there, you know, yeah. it still gets triggered and I still got to catch it when it does. Um, and then the second piece to this is, um, you know, it, we had this discussion last week on social media mm-hmm. and we live in a world that is a posted to prove it world. It's no longer good enough for you and I just to go have a great meal, you know, at a great steakhouse, enjoy something together. We have to take a picture of our food or the bottle of wine or, you know, we have to show the world that, you know, Virgil and Drew had a pretty incredible meal last night and and you missed out. (laughs) (laughs) And so we just live in such a post it to prove it world. And I'm trying to fight that force with myself as well. Once again, I think there's timeliness and meaning and purpose behind social media posting, which we all need to do, but just the self promotion promote being the word last week. And then the, the, the prove it, uh, you know, it's okay just to be in the moment and not feel like you have to prove that you were in the moment as well. Yeah. I wrote in the book and I still feel that I haven't really thought much differently about this word than I wrote in the book. I think this is a stop at the crossroads Mm. word, because if you turn left, so to speak, you have the choice that you feel like you have to prove something to somebody, Yep. you know, always seeking, like you said, seeking the approval. And then if you turn right, you feel like you're in the search to prove to yourself that you can do something. You know, you're, you've been challenged, right? You're challenging yourself. And that's where I'm always stuck. Yeah. You know, I'm always stuck. Am I doing this for me? Yeah. Or am I doing this for somebody else to make me feel better about myself? And therein lies the dilemma that we all face, but within the context of proving something, I'm, I'm fortunate because I spent a lot of time before I'm all in on something to make sure that am I, what am I all in this for, by the way, you know? And so like my golf 
it's never been about me. Like I don't, I purposely do not fill out the Tennessee PGA Teacher of the Year award hmm. because if you want to be nominated, you got to nominate yourself. Oh wow! And I really, I think this is that's the that's so dumb. It's 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 past dumb, and the process <laughs> the process in which it gets voted is even dumber. Oh wow! Um, so like so I've won it a couple of times. But I, as I spoke in 2015 after I won, is that even though I've won this award before, this feels like I won it for the first time because I didn't fill out any paperwork. Mm. My fellow professionals filled it out. So how did you get nominated then? Did uh, somebody, uh, bl- somebody did it behind your back? Well, somebody oh, I got you. Somebody okay. nominated me. I got you. And that doesn't happen. Everybody nominates themselves. Oh, wow. So like... I was told that I needed to show up to the chapter meeting because if you don't win the chapter, you can't win the section. Mm. So I'm like, but I don't want to go. Mm. He goes, no, you need to be there. And I'm like, I just had my gallbladder taken out three days ago. This oh, is going to be a nightmare. He goes, you have to be there. So I'm like, I'm, okay, I must have. Mm. I don't know why I have to be there. So I get there and, and you know, teacher of the year, virtual hearing. I'm like, how? Wait, hold on a second. I didn't apply for this. Mm. I didn't fill anything out. How did this happen? And there were some guys that went to Mississippi State that I've mentored along the way that kind of put all the pieces together wow. i'm like wow that's nice so then when i win this section it was the most overwhelming feeling that i've had of winning anything because i didn't do anything no campaign i didn't know no ca- I, I, I didn't i didn't call anybody yeah. i didn't want to sit in i didn't defend any position that i have wow. i just it all went through right so that was like i didn't i don't go about teaching golf to seek other people's yeah. approval i'm there to help yeah. guide people and toward their goals slash dreams. Yeah. And to me, I think that that's one of the most important things that I try to would be wanting to pass on about the word prove is it's really tempting in the work environment to seek approval of your boss yep. because you feel like that's the way to promotion and getting, you know, more money right. or more prestige in your, in your position. But at the end of the day, I think that there'll be people that could argue this because there's some politics involved in it. But at the end of the day, most people find themselves plowing them, plowing their way to the top of any organization because they take care of their job. Yeah. They do it for themselves. They do it to prove that they can do it. Mm-hmm. And the fundamentals of proving to yourself is, it always comes back to what we always talk about. There is a process that you follow. There's the ability to take action on the process. Mm-hmm. There's the perseverance to handle the difficult things that come in front of you, the interference to the goal line, mm-hmm. so to speak. There's going to be things that happen in your life that derail what looks like constant progress, but you got to be able to move and shake. You got to yeah. be able to bounce off the tackle and keep going for a couple <laughs> extra more, yeah. you know? And those are the things that I remember. And for me, the greatest definition of prove is Tiger Woods winning the 2019 Masters. Like, he didn't have to prove anything to anybody in 2019. Yeah. His record is, it stands by itself, That's right. baby. I mean, you know how, but he wanted to prove it to himself. That's right. That he yeah. could win again on the biggest stage yeah. with a broken down body that if he, if he got back again, he could do it. Yeah. And I, I just think, I mean, I've waffled in and out of being a Tiger Woods fan and not, but I, that moment yeah. was powerful because he proved to himself that he could conquer a mountain of adversity, yeah. both personally, emotionally, mentally, yeah. and physically. It was a it was a gigantic prove, yeah, and overcoming. And he, and he just did it here recently, 
getting back into the golf game again. I mean, yeah. it, it was amazing watching him play a couple of weeks ago and to see him back on the course. I mean, still – He looked good. He looked good. I mean, I, that's what I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I know you watch it so much closer than I do, but, like, he looked good. He had the shots. He had the force. I mean, they were talking about the ball speed and the spin. I mean, it, you know, it was like – at those Styled levels in. again yeah. of, of incredible, incredible levels of, of champion golf. And all he has to do is be able to walk 72 holes yeah, and he'll be fine. But the, it's still yeah. an arduous task. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, to me, like when you think about shifting, because you know, you, we just discussed how you've sought yeah. approval from other places. What are some of the processes that you went through? Because you've yeah. been on this journey <clears throat> yeah. from the left turn proof to yeah. the right turn proof, so yeah. to speak. What are some of the processes and keys for you? Yeah, it, that well, can help others? it started, and and I, I've told this story on this podcast, and obviously you know this this story. But when I pulled into school in 2013 after we won our first state championship, it was the first day of school, and I was paralyzed. I couldn't get out of the truck because when I got out of the truck, and I'll speed this story up mm-hmm. because I've told it before. But when I my two feet hit the ground on the pavement to walk into school, it was symbolic of a new year beginning and a re-up to to do it again. Uh And you had to prove yourself all over again that, uh, yeah, you had won a championship, but, you know, at the end of the day, it it felt very empty. It was like, okay, now go do it again and and improve your worth, improve your value, improve your expertise, and prove that you can, you know, coach at this level and and prove that you can pull a team together, all of those things. Once again, seeking the approval of the culture of my family, of the student body, the community at large, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. the pressure was so much. Um, and it was the most severe it had ever gotten in my life that I, I, I I couldn't really deal with it. So I made a phone call to a guy named Randy Heron and I'll say his name. He, he was, he was step one in the process of really saving me for myself. And, uh, we began to meet, uh, that year we met every single Thursday morning at eight o'clock. And I'll tell, I'll start getting emotional talking about it. It was sacred time because what started to happen was I went back and rewound my story as far as I could remember. And he gave me a notebook and a pen. And this is really where my journaling uh, discipline started. Mm -hmm. And he would just say every single morning, just as you clear your mind and you get into a state of being, just write anything that you can think of as it relates to performance and triggers of performance, of, of celebration, of failure, of wins, of loss, of when you made the shot, when you missed the shot, uh, you know, when you, you felt like your parents were disappointed. And, and Virgil, I filled up notebooks of just stories. Hmm. And what I began to do through that process uh, of healing was really starting to, to visit within my story that ultimately when I look back at it, that I was okay at the end of it all, like I wasn't left alone. Like my biggest fear was if I didn't get the result and we lost in the state championship, I was okay. You know, all of these things started to be recognized in my story that, you know what, when I do look back, I did overcome. I did actually get better. You know, I learned it Mm -hmm. wasn't a win or lose or win or fail or perfection or failure. It was actually a, a step in the process. And so we would go back and we would discuss all of those things. So that year was a huge year for me, mm-hmm. but recognizing I needed to invite somebody to help me. Yeah. I needed a facilitator of healing. And that's what Randy was to me mm-hmm. still is. He would be, um, at my table in a sage seat for me. He's that level guy. We still meet, uh, every other week for lunch. 
and he's still 10 years later, uh, a guy that I lean into for advice. So that was step one. Step two was I went back and visited with uh, old coaches, uh, my parents, anybody that had been uh, harmful or helpful in my process. Mm-hmm. That was step two to it was to go have a conversation and to actually look at them and, and say, hey, this helped when this occurred or this actually was damaging when this occurred. Yeah. And having that conversation was really, really good. So I journaled, visited everything I could think of had a conversation, sought help. And then the last piece to it uh, in the healing process for me was 2017, a guy named Chip Dodd came into my story and Chip wrote a book called Voice of the Heart. And we began to do a deep dive into the eight feelings from the spiritual root system mm-hmm. and uh, just really began to, and we wrote about actually those eight feelings in our excavated book. Yeah, uh, You know, fear I don't, I don't and, know. and anger and hurt and lost all the way down to gladness. And, um, he was such an integral, integral part as well, mm-hmm. because I began to really feel my feelings yeah. and I never had done that. Like, you know, I always avoided feelings or you didn't talk about feelings, but no, he really encouraged me and walked me through what it meant to feel your feelings and what that begins to look like. So really those three elements hmm. were so crucial that it allowed me to open my hands up and to release the fear of not getting the approval if I didn't perform at the levels that, you know, I ultimately wanted to. Hmm. Well, you, you had to prove to yourself that you could face the fear of the lie. That is That's right. approval. That's right. You know, what was that? What was that feeling like to face? Like, I can't imagine how difficult that conversation would be with your mom and dad. Yeah. And then when it was over, what did it feel like? Cause it probably wasn't, one one thousandth as difficult as you thought it was. No, and, and I, I think that's the thing that I would encourage our audiences. You know, it's it's never going to be as bad as as you would think, and in fact, it's helped our our relationship. You know, mm-hmm. because it allowed us to lean into each other with more authenticity and and more wholeness and more vulnerability. Which vulnerability is really the seed to all relationship growth. Yeah. Because without vulnerability, no trust can be established. No empathy can be released. Yeah. So it really does start with vulnerability, but you've got to be willing. Yeah. I mean, and, and I love what you're, what you're asking here. So it didn't go near as bad. It actually went incredibly well. All my fears did not come true. And yeah. as a result, health began to really emerge in healing yeah. more importantly, um, begin to begin to occur and and it wasn't even there. It's not like I I want somebody to think like it was their fault. A lot of it was just self-induced wanting their approval that desperately. A lot of times they didn't even know, Hey mom or dad, do you remember that night? Like when, when this occurred or this was said or the way you said it, it may have been something to them that was a blip, but to me it was significant. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for that. You know, or whatever. <clears throat> and so it was an incredible, incredible part in the healing process wow. of releasing myself from the fear of of not getting people's approval if I didn't get the result that I wanted. Wow. Okay, to me, that's one of the most important things that I'd want people to understand. Like there was just a recent study that by using neuroscience and tracking the mm-hmm. thoughts of the mind that literally... of everything that a a person is scared of or fearful of never happens. Wow. 99%. That that seems so much more than I would ever imagine. (laughs) Like 1% of the fears that go through your mind Hmm. in a day, only 1% of them come through. 
And if we have between fifty and 70,000 thoughts a day, not, not all of them are fearful. Yeah. But if let's just say that it's just 1% of the thoughts that go through your mind are fear-related about something, that's 500. Yeah. And that means only five of the 500 things that crossed your mind that could be fearful could come true today. Yeah. Wow. And if you think about it, five fearful things happening a day, still plenty. It's, yeah. But that's where, ang- that's where the anxiety of life comes from. Yeah. It's like, as soon as you get on a bad, on a bad run in life, I mean, you just keep on thinking that it's going to keep happening, yeah. you know? And I think that there is <clears throat> one of the most important challenges in our life is that to be able to start like next play mentality, yeah. like Billis talks about in his book. Yeah. Toughness. Toughness, mm-hmm. which is, you know, yesterday's gone. We can't yeah. do anything about yesterday and tomorrow's not here yet. Yeah. To be able to stay in the present and give it your best yeah. in the present moment. Now that is way easier for me to sit here and say through yeah. this microphone 100%. than it is to actually do oh. because we're influenced by the past. Yep. But I just remember I had an abnormal streak of outrageously good fortune out of college. Mm. Like in a, in a very long run of essentially nothing happening that would be, I would consider negative. Mm. It was bizarre. And like, by the time it was like 2003, that confidence or that, that string of success, it begat more success. Mm. It created a, a mindset that I am going to be able to do it again. I'm going to be able to do it again. But what's interesting is that as soon as I had my first kick in the teeth, it rattled my confidence. And I started to think that wouldn't, I've had, like, I started to do statistics in my head. I just had an 11 year run mm. of really awesome. And now, does that mean I'm going to be on an 11? It has to equal out at some point. Like, that's, that's where my mind wow. went. Wow. It has to, and, and, and yeah. I almost feel like I started to bring on more negativity, mm. which then made me feel like I had to prove something. Yeah. And I started down the road of trying to get accolades, you know, through my teaching, through tour players and or, and trying to, and I started to put pressure on myself. Not that I ever got that approval or, and this is before social media yeah. too, so there was no like posting or anything, but I just kept trying. And then, you know, then, you know, you have your first child and like everything that you thought was important. Like in 2005, I'll never forget it, man. I was just like, nothing mattered. Mm. Like everything that I thought about was important about teaching golf, helping people win on TV, get these kids scholarships, you know, and all the pressure that I put on myself. When when Lucas was born, like my entire life, like it was like a control, alt, delete, reset, (laughs) and everything went to, that's the most important thing. Mm. And my whole whole life shifted Mm. off of, my son being born mm. and then I, I would say I have equilibrium I've had a plenty of great things happen and plenty of difficult things happen but it was really strange how confidence can really make you like think that more great things are coming mm-hmm. and how the first sign of adversity can make you start to question is this the end of my run right you know probably what Michael Jordan felt at some point Kobe felt it at some point Shaq for sure yeah. it's like is it over now right and probably Tiger Woods has probably been through it like five different times. Yeah. Is this it? Yeah. Is, is this where it all ends? And then the elite figure out a way to make it last a little bit longer. Yeah. They, they work on their physical conditioning and their mental conditioning. But, man, it's a this, – this thing called life yeah. 
is a unique battle between what goes on inside your head, what comes out of your heart, yeah. and what comes out of your feet taking action. Yeah. You know, those three things, mm. they don't always align. Yeah. And sometimes, and if you've, if you've read the book um, that Malcolm Gladwell wrote called Blink, yeah. when to trust your gut mm. and when to trust your brain. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. I strongly encourage anybody. If you're starting to question, you know, sometimes you, you think about something and your brain takes control and it should be something your gut's been telling you for months. Yeah. Or when you should be trusting your brain instead of your gut. It's really a fascinating yeah. book. But I am errant when I use my, I use my mind too much and don't trust my gut enough. Mm. And that took me a while because that allowed, that proved to myself yeah. that my instincts were better than I was giving them credit for. Wow. And I think a lot of people struggle with one or the other. Yeah. Some people trust their gut too much and some people trust their brain too mm. much. And there's a, there's actually verified balance points on when you trust your brain yeah. and when you trust your wow. when you trust your gut, you brought up at, in the opening, and I thought this was. It's, it's I've been thinking about it the whole time we've been sitting here <laughs> talking. Now, you, you know the, the the being at the crossroads of turning left, you know, having to prove to other people, but then there's also this healthy side of prove that you just you you said of, you know, sometimes proving to yourself that you can take the risk, take the shot, make or miss. You're mm-hmm. you're still willing. Uh, or, or maybe it's a challenge or an obstacle or a struggle and you rise up to meet it or you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation for growth to occur and, and you prove to yourself that, that you can do it. Do you, do you have a story when you think back over your, your life of when like you recognize this, um, this hunger to prove to yourself that you could do it. You put yourself in a situation that was maybe a stretch situation or a growth situation. And you're like, man, and you look back on it and you're like, yeah, I proved to myself right there. And it took me to the next level of my process because it established confidence and, and assurance and certainty and all these things that occurred. And, uh, and, and it was helpful to you because I, I think, you know, so many times we talk about proof and we talk about this, this side of worrying about what other people think, but man, sometimes you need to assure yourself that you, you do have what it takes. Yeah. I would probably say I've had a handful of small wins, but the biggest one occurred in 2000. So I graduated in 97 and I, I became an employee at a golf course that's no longer around called through the green. And I got paid $24,800 a salary. And I got to keep 10% of my lessons. Okay. So I crushed it. Now I was in a great situation, great situation. And I sold like $115,000 worth of lessons. And that made me 11,000 on top of my 28. So I made like 39,500 my first year. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm. I just did 111 and I made 39. <laughs> I didn't like that math. Yeah. Wait a minute. So the next year I got club fitting money and I ended up making like 55,000, but I also, you know, brought to the table counting club fitting and club sales like 180. Wow. And I'm like, hmm. hmm. So I decided in 2000 to start my own business mm. and everything was going to go through me and I would pay rent back now the risk is health insurance Mm -hmm. but to know like you'd have to think that it's better if you're making 150 
to pay what it costs for your health insurance versus making somebody 150 and you getting paid 49, right. 55. There's no way that the health insurance costs 90 grand. Right. Right. <laughs> so I was scared, you know, because there's no entrepreneur on my side of the family. Gotcha. Well, my, I guess my mom, I should say my mom's an entrepreneur. She has a beauty salon. My mom's cut hair all of her life. But it was still, she was mom first. And that was kind of like, yeah. it was a hustle. Yeah. I mean, she was certainly working, but it was, she was mom first, beautician second. Yeah. Like this was an all in and I was scared. I didn't know if it was going to work. And I'd only been in Nashville for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I just trusted that my ability to coach people to play better golf was greater than the fear of it not working because mm-hmm. of an external force that I couldn't control that would stop me from being successful. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be the first big risk that I took that led me to other big risks. Wow. You know, to be the you know, to bring teaching facilities to Tennessee. Yeah. To be the first person to get a track man. Wow. To, you know, building the first indoor facility, only indoor with massive tech like we did at Ensworth. And now I've I'm again doing something that's not been done, which is I have a track man simulator in my home mm-hmm. and instead of paying rent to a facility, I'm paying rent to myself. <laughs> so it started in 2000. Yep. And now it's a 23-year journey of recognizing fear, yep. recognizing things could go wrong. Yeah. But I'm not afraid to bet on myself. Mm. And I know at any particular point that it could go wrong, but if it goes wrong, it's going to be because an external force yeah. caused something because I know how to coach the game. Yeah. And I know how to make people better. Yep. And it's just more of a question of, I guess still got to stay on top of, you know, my contacts and I got to keep trying to grow my business. That yeah. never goes away. Yeah. But I never get afraid of, can I still help somebody? Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's why people are come get golf yeah. lessons. They want it. They trust that I can help. Right. It's a proven method. Yeah. That's You're right. a proven coach. Yeah. They trust. But it was, I can tell you how scared I was. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm losing my health insurance. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to go out there and yeah. I'm going to pay them a percentage of what I make. And it is way better than, you know, to pay them 15 or 20 than yeah. to give away 60 or 70 yeah. for a guaranteed small amount. Yeah. So that was, and I, and I, that's proving to myself. I didn't have to, I wasn't trying to prove it to anybody that I could right. do it. I just knew that the numbers didn't add up to me yeah. and I needed to start believing in myself mm-hmm. that I could do it. And I wanted to prove to myself that all of the fears that I had about being an entrepreneur weren't real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether you, I, I would call my career successful or not is completely irrelevant to the fact that I've enjoyed the journey of being asked to help people enjoy a game or being asked to help kids achieve a dream and go along on the ride of watching people put their best effort into something yeah. and watch it come out fruitful and positive. Yeah. That's it's, the, it's one of the greatest gifts. Oh, wow. Coaching is something else. Yeah. Man, it really is. Oh, thanks for sharing your story too. I mean, that's just, you know, I think um, if we're to the point where it's, it's about time to start closing this, this word out, yeah. which I just love what you presented off the top, the, 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 the proven, the 
the proving to somebody versus the proving to yourself. And I just want to jump on what you just said. And just as it relates to, you know, really proving to yourself that you have what it takes because you do have what it takes. You were created with, with value, you know, for purpose, with worth, for a unique and divine opportunity before you. Now, the, the thing that I heard in your story, when I think about proving to myself, there is an element of risk. And you've got to be courageous enough to take that step because there's nothing that has ever been proved without first a risk taken. And so when I heard your story and I think about moments in my life, whether it's this new journey I'm on with Ashley Home Furniture Stores or when I went into coaching or when we wrote a book or mm-hmm. launched a podcast, there was an element of risk along the way. Uh, jumping into fatherhood, jumping into marriage. I mean, it, it could be whatever it has been. Yeah. And you needed to prove to yourself that you had what it took. There was an element of risk, calculated risk, yeah. not radical risk, but there had to be, you had to be courageous enough to step in every single time. I'm very thankful I did. Yeah. You know, basically courage is not the absence of fear. It's the fact that you, f- you feel the fear yeah. and you do it anyway. Yes. Or you move into it anyway. And I think that's, that's the end of the day. That's the hardest part yeah. of life is knowing where your lines are in the sand of where, where is too much risk? Yep. Where is it? And this is probably not a good decision. Mm-hmm. So self-awareness is really critical yeah. in the risk assessment to then know that you are trying to prove it to yourself versus whether you're trying to that's seek right. approval for someone else. Mm-hmm. And there it's probably, there's that line mm-hmm. is like, you have to know you can't, you can't try to prove anything to yourself if you don't know who you are. Yeah. Right. So self-assessment of your, what you are doing, how much passion do you have? How much are you willing to invest in yourself to prove to yourself? Yes. And I think that's good. That's probably the most important part for me is you have to know those particular facets before you can actually make a judgment call on whether you're making a good decision or not. Yeah. But when you, when you have those things in alignment, even the biggest fears are conquerable because you have the process aligned yeah. and you know how to handle them. And when you have the process understood, the process would also at some point in that process, know you're going to have to face adversity. Nothing is going to go yeah. exactly as you've seen. And we've talked about it before. And I know this is one of your favorite lines. Everybody's got to get, <laughs> you know, Mike Tyson said it great. You know, it, everybody's got a game plan until I punch him in the face and you get punched in the face. That's going to happen in every single thing that you do. Are you prepared for it? Yeah. And if you're prepared, it seems like it's a pretty good time to take that risk. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I thank you for sharing your stories. These are every, every single one of these have a life of their own. Yeah. And this has just been so much fun. So uh, thank you, Drew. So thank you uh, out there for following along in our elevated, excavated run and in our journey. If you're interested in our books, you can feel free to uh, go to Amazon.com and look them up there. For Drew Maddox, I'm Virgil. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next week for another word out of excavation.